In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Let us read some verses from 1 John chapter 1. Actually, the chapter is 10 verses, so we will read the whole chapter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do not love the world nor the things which are in the world. So, what is the word that was repeated in this chapter several times. And what is, if we want to choose a theme for this chapter, what the theme of this chapter would be? There is one word actually was repeated several times in this chapter. Fellowship. 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 Actually, he said, that why he is writing, he, he told us that which we have seen, verse 3, and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. So he's declaring all these good news that we may have fellowship with John and all the disciples. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Which practice in the church also we refer to it as fellowship? Which prayer, which activity, which service in the church we refer to it as fellowship? Liturgy. Liturgy. Very good. Just to quickly, in the liturgy of the faithful, in the introduction, to the fraction. We say 
let us also ask him to make us worthy of the communion and partaking. Communion actually, in Arabic and in Coptic, is fellowship. So, fellowship is communion. Fellowship is the liturgy. So today, actually, I like to speak with you about the relationship between liturgy and fellowship. Why we call the liturgy fellowship. And how this can be applied in our life. The word liturgy is composed of two words. Laos, which means people, and urge, which means work. So the liturgy actually is the communal service, the work of the people. That's why one person alone cannot pray liturgy. The priest by himself cannot pray liturgy. One priest and one deacon cannot pray liturgy. At least we need to have a priest, deacon, and one person represents the congregation to have a liturgy. So it will be the community, the communal service, the communal work, the work of the people to be fellowship together. To be fellowship together. Uh, through the fellowship comes the knowledge. For example, you as a group of the youth, when you have fellowship together, you will get to know each other. Without having this fellowship, it will be difficult to know each other. And the fellowship that St. John is speaking about has two important dimensions. Fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Holy Trinity. As he said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also may have fellowship with us, so fellowship with one another, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So through this fellowship, we will know one another in Christ, and also we will know the Holy Trinity. It is impossible to know the Holy Trinity away from the liturgy. And by the way, we the Orthodox, we don't call it Mass, we call it liturgy. Mass is a Catholic term coming from a Latin word. The priests say it at the end of their Mass, meaning dismissal. So we Orthodox, we don't use the word Mass, it's a Catholic term. But we call it liturgy to emphasize the fellowship that is important and foundation in the liturgy. That's why in verse uh, 
in verse 7. First John chapter 1 verse 7. He said, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, his son cleanses us from all sin. So, what is the relationship between the fellowship that he is speaking, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins? Here is the relationship. The blood of Jesus cleanses us, purifies us. Then, when we are purified and we are cleansed, we can have fellowship with one another and with the Holy Trinity in the Holy Trinity. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said, no fellowship between darkness and light. That's why he said, if walk in the light. If some of us are in darkness because of sin, they cannot have fellowship with people who are righteous and walk in the light. So, how this group can have fellowship with this group? The blood of Jesus will cleanse them from all sins, from the darkness. Then they walk in the light. And if they walk in the light, they will have fellowship with the light in Jesus Christ. So in liturgy, all of us, because all of us who are sinners, but with the life of repentance and with communion, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Then we will have fellowship with one another. And at the same time, we have fellowship with the Holy Trinity. Can a person have fellowship with God, with the Holy Trinity, without having fellowship with one another? Some people say what we call it the individual, individual piety or the individual godliness. Some people say, I don't have to come to the church. I have a great relationship with God. Why should I come to the church? No need to come to the church. And during this time when the churches were closed, although we need to accommodate the situation, but many people start to advocate and preach the individual piety and the individual godliness. Yes, you can be with God alone. The church is not important. Who said the church is not important? Go into your inner room, pray between you and God, and then you have fellowship with God, and that's it. But I'm telling you, as St. John said, we have fellowship with one another and our fellowship with the Holy Trinity. That's why God, he said, our fellowship is like the body. Think about your body. Every organ in your body has relationship with the brain, with the head. Every single or organ. We call it the nervous system. So each organ in your body, through the nervous system, has a relationship with the brain. But also, each organ in your body is connected with the rest of your body. That's why if you have 
illness in one organ, the whole body will feel the pain because we are connected. Actually, those who studied anatomy, there is a tissue called connective tissue. Connective tissue means what? The tissue that connect all the organs of the body together. That is the fellowship. We are connected to one another and we're connected to the head. But those who advocate the individual piety or individual godliness, as if we have the head and the brain, and from the brain you have liver, connected to the brain, and that's it. Heart connected to the brain, that's it. Lung connected to the brain, that's it. But the liver and the heart and the lung and the spleen are not connected together. Can this make a human body? Can this make a human being? No. That's why Christ told us, I am the head, you are the body. We have to have fellowship together and also in the same time, we have to have fellowship with the head. And the head is Christ. But Christ is the son of the father. You cannot have fellowship with the son without the father. In the son, we become children to the father. And the, the son abiding in the father and the father abiding in the son. And the father and the son are one with the Holy Spirit. So through this fellowship, I am not only one, we as the body of Christ, we are not only one with the head Christ, but also with the father and with the Holy Spirit. John 17, was after the Lord gave his body and blood to the disciples or before? That's a question. John 17 was after he gave the, the disciples his body and his blood or before? Yeah, after, because John 13 is the, is the Eucharist, Last Supper, or Mystical Supper, John 13. So John 17, after John 13, so it's after. Okay. Why am I asking this? Look at this verse. Verse 23. Uh, Jesus is praying to the Father. He sings the Father. I in them how he is in them. How he is in them. Hmm? Communion. He just gives them his body and his blood. He told them, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. So now he is saying to the Father, I in them. They ate my body, they drank my blood, so they are one with me. Then he said, and you in me eternally, the Father and the Son is one. See how beautiful I in them and you in me. So what is the conclusion? That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this oneness, 
with the Holy Trinity cannot be achieved outside the liturgy, outside the communion, outside the Eucharist. The one who is prevented from taking Eucharist, from taking communion, what is this called? When the church prevents somebody from taking communion, what we call this? Excommunication. Communication means what? Communication, fellowship, oneness, togetherness. So excommunication, you don't have fellowship. You are not one with us. Right? So the knowledge of the Holy Trinity can be achieved only, only through the liturgy and through the Eucharist. In the liturgy, let, let me read verse first and then go to the liturgy. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. I know you know this church. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. So, how this can be achieved? How can we know him? Not intellectual knowledge, but experiential knowledge. How can we know the power of his resurrection? How can we know the fellowship of his suffering? And what did he mean by being conformed to his death? How this can be achieved in practical terms? How? Even if you don't know the answer, you can expect it. How can it be achieved? Okay. Let me give you a hand. Hmm? Through communion, through the liturgy. Because in the liturgy, I will be one with the Son. So I know him. Before communion, I am under sentence of death. But after I take communion, he who eats my body and drink my blood will live forever and I will raise him in the last day. So I will know the power of resurrection in communion and the fellowship of his suffering because I am one with the crucified Christ. So that's the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death, because in communion I die to the world and live to Christ, it's no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, St. Paul said, For I received, verse 23, from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had give, given thanks, he broke it 
and said, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then verse 26 is a key verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, when we partake his body and his blood, we live and have fellowship with the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Christ. So, in the divine liturgy, let me remind you of something very beautiful, goes with what we are saying. Abuna says, For every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death, confess my resurrection, and remember me till I come. So, can I proclaim his death, confess his resurrection, remember him without communion? Intellectually, yes. Without taking in communion, I, I can say, Christ died, he rose from the dead, and I will remember him till his second coming. But you cannot have this fellowship and this knowledge and this proclamation in experiential way outside the liturgy. That's why he said, every time you eat from this bread and drink from this cup, you will proclaim my death because here you experience it. You have fellowship with the crucified Christ, with his death, with his resurrection, and remember him till he, he comes. And what is our response? We say, Amin, 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 your death, O Lord, we proclaim. Not just we proclaim it intellectually, but through experience. Your holy resurrection ascension into heaven, we confess, we praise you, we bless you, etc. Uh, it is a real fellowship. And one of the beautiful fractions is the fraction for the angels. It starts, Behold Emmanuel our God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the whole world, is with us today on this table. So, the greatest activity that we can do in our life is the Divine Liturgy. There is no greater activity than the Divine Liturgy. You know why? Because in the Divine Liturgy, we have Emmanuel, our God, bodily with us on the altar. His body and His blood. There is no greater activity than this activity. There is a hymn called the Bread of Life, Beoik. In this hymn we say, the cherubim and the seraphim stand round about you and they cannot behold you. But we can behold you every day on the altar. 
So we have a privilege even the Sherubim and the Seraphim did not have it. We can see him, not only see him, but we partake of him, we become one with him. His body will become our body. His blood become our blood. There is no greater activity than the divine liturgy. So, the divine liturgy is the mystery of fellowship with the Holy Trinity and with one another. Then, I like to give you some practical applications how we participate in, in the fellowship, how we actualize the fellowship in the divine liturgy. And I will speak about eight points to actualize this fellowship, this oneness. In the early church, and actually this practice, I myself witnessed when I was a little child. What is this practice? Actually, this practice was prevalent in the early church, in the first century. As a little child, we are, yeah, my family originally not from Cairo, but from a city in Upper Egypt. So we used during summer vacation to go to uh, my grandfather's uh, house and stay a few weeks during summer vacation in Upper Egypt. And every Saturday, I remember very well, there is a person who bakes the urban, the, the, the bread for the church. We call him El Arabni. Here actually volunteers doing this, but in, in Egypt, there is one person dedicated to this service uh, to make the urban for the church. So I remember very well the Arabni used to come and, and, and go to all the houses of the believers on Saturday. And each house give the Arabni some flour. And from this flower that he collected from all the houses of the believers, he made the urban from which actually the lamb is chosen for the divine leadership. So, as a little child, I did not understand why he is doing this. I know there are many rich families, so the one family actually can give him all the, the flour that's needed instead of him going from house to house to house to house to take little flour from each. So I asked why he's doing this. Why just one family can contribute and give him the flour and the next week another family? Why he should go from one house to one house? Even families that will give him small amount, they are poor, so they give him small amount, he goes to them and get a small amount of flour. And it was explained to me, in order to have fellowship, so each one will be represented in this bread that's offered on the altar. So 
when I give some flower and this family gives some flower and this family gives some flower and so on. So, and from this flower, the bread is made. So actually, everyone is represented in this urbana that will be the body of Christ. And that's actually what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as I told you, this practice was the practice in the early church, but unfortunately it disappeared right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, St. Paul said, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the fellowship of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. That's why we don't offer five breads, five loaves of bread, or five cups. Only one bread and one cup. It is the fellowship, the communion. Communion means union. Come, union together. So, now I told you this disappeared. So, what is the replacement to this beautiful tradition? And this is number one in how to have fellowship, true fellowship. So at least when you come to the liturgy, come with your offering. Regardless how little, even, even it's two cents. But when you come to the liturgy, Come with your offering to the church. And each one, not only the father or the mother, but the father, the mother, the children, each one should come to the church with his offering. Even if you pay your tithe once a month, either through a check or online or whatever, but every time again you come to the church, Come with your offering. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, St. Paul, verse 1, St. Paul said, Now concerning the collection for the sins, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. So this is apostolic order. On the first day of the week, he did not say on the first day of the month or once a year. On the first day of the week, Sunday. So each Sunday when you come to the liturgy, let each one of you, he did not say let each family, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. So when we come to the church, each one of us, each one should actually come with his offering. Whether the offering is one cent, two cent, one dollar, five dollars, whatever you can afford. 
But as the Lord said in the Old Testament, don't appear before me empty-handed. So when Abuna says the litany for the oblations, when he says, remember, O Lord, those who have brought unto you these gifts, those on whose behalf they have been brought, and those by whom they have been brought, you will be one of these group. And when I bring my offering, and you bring your offering, and bring your offering, so all our offering will ascend before God as a sweet aroma. One offering. It will be one offering before God. So this is our fellowship and our communion with one another. Number two, I told you eight points. Number two, the readings. There are two purposes from the reading in the church. Let me ask a question. John 15 was after Eucharist or before Eucharist? After Eucharist. John 15, after Eucharist. Because we said Eucharist was in John 13. So in John 15, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So, what actually cleanses them? The word of God. The word of God. So, one purpose of the reading to cleanse us and to purify us before partaking of the communion. That's why attending the reading is very important. Not only the gospel, but all the reading. The Pauline, the, the Psalm and the Gospel of Matins, the Pauline, the Catholic Epistle, the Braxis, the Psalm and the Gospel of the Liturgy. Because it has a role in our cleansing and in our purification. But there is another purpose of the reading. When we listen to the same reading together, what this make in our mind? All of us will have the same mind. All of us will be thinking about the same thing, right? So is this unity? Is this fellowship? Yes. So listening and paying attention to the reading and to the sermon this actually make our mind, we have one mind and we have one accord. Like now all of us, you are listening to the sermon. So all of us thinking about what right now? All of you thinking about liturgy and fellowship. So listening together will unite and make us have one mind and one accord and one thought. So the second practical point how to achieve the fellowship in the divine liturgy by listening and paying attention to the reading. Number three, the holy kiss and the reconciliation. Why the church actually made the holy kiss an essential element in the divine liturgy. 
and the deacon call everybody, greet one another with a holy kiss. And the holy kiss, it's not a kiss of passion and, and lust, as we say in the sincere liturgy, and also is not the kiss of betrayal like Judas. But the holy kiss is the kiss of reconciliation. As the Lord said, if you offered your oblation on the altar, and then you remember that there is something between you and your brother, leave your offering on the altar, go reconcile first, and then come your, uh, and offer your offering. Right? When we reconcile to, to one another, and we have peace with, with one another, is it fellowship? Yes, it's fellowship. Without it, we cannot have fellowship. And since the, the communion and Eucharist is fellowship, that's why in every divine liturgy, Abuna, as the deacon says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Some people try to outsmart God. How? If I have a conflict with this person, and this person pray in Archangel Michael, I will pray in St. Mary Church. But it doesn't work with God. Or if this person is sitting here, I will sit there. So when the ticket says greet one another, you know, I'm avoiding him. Now, greet one another means the ability to greet any believer with a heart with no grudges in it, with sincere and genuine love, and with a spirit of reconciliation. You cannot outsmart God. And without this kiss of peace, there is no fellowship. Number four. Can I have fellowship with you while I'm skipping some Sundays and you attend all Sundays? When I skip some liturgies, but you attend all liturgies, can we have fellowship with one another in this way? Can we? Or no, we cannot. Actually, when we attend the liturgy regularly, and when we come constantly to the church, then our fellowship will be actualized. But if I skip two Sundays, three Sundays, and then I come once a month, our fellowship will never be actualized. So in order to uh, actualize our fellowship with one another, we need actually to attend regularly and not to skip any Sunday. St. Paul spoke about this actually in his letter to Hebrews. He said in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse uh, 24 and 25. 
And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. St. Paul found some people, they escape certain Sundays. They, they don't come to the church every Sunday. So he said, no, you cannot do this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's very important to be regular, to be consistent in attending the liturgy every Sunday. Number five. Some people come to the church as observant. I am watching, standing, I'm watching what Abuna does, what the deacon does, and that's it. And maybe I'm watching and judging. I'm observing what's going on. This is not liturgy. Liturgy means all of us participate. That's why the priest says, the priest says, the deacon says, then the congregation says. So your participation as congregation in the chanting and prayer will make us one unity, fellowship with one another. Not only that, every now and then the deacon give you an instruction. Pray for the peace of the one only holy Catholic and Apostolic Orthodox Church of God. Pray for the salvation of the world. Pray for this offering and those who have offered them. Pray for the perfect peace. Pray that God have compassion upon us, etc. So, when the deacon say pray, you should pray. You should lift up your heart to God and pray. Unfortunately, in some churches, when they want actually to finish the church quickly, so the deacon skip these uh, responses. But I want to say the intention beyond these responses is not just to repeat what Abuna says. No. Abuna say, remember, O Lord, the peace of your one only holy Catholic and Apostolic Orthodox Church of God. Unless the people are distracted, so the deacon instructs the people, you also pray with Abuna. Pray for the peace of the one Orthodox Church of God. So you pray, Abuna pray, all of us who are praying. When all of us who are praying together the same prayer, that's fellowship. That's oneness in mind and oneness in spirit. But just to be disconnected and watching, you are observing what's happening, you will not have fellowship. So fellowship through active participation in prayer, in chanting, in, uh, in the divine liturgy. Number uh, six. I spoke about it, uh, but I will repeat it again. Number six is to avoid 
the individual godliness or the individual piety. Meaning, yes, every one of us should have a personal relationship with God. Yes, I'm not arguing this. But the fellowship cannot be actualized without having fellowship with one another. You cannot have fellowship with God without having fellowship with one another. So don't separate yourself from the spirit of the one church, holy Catholic Apostolic Church, one holy Catholic Apostolic Church. Catholic means universal here. Some people, they have their own spiritual rule, spiritual canon. For example, I will come to the church in the last 30 minutes. I will attend liturgy once every month. I will not fast the fast of the apostles. I will not fast Wednesday and Friday. So he have his own agenda, his own rule, his own canon, away from the spirit of the church. How can we be united and have fellowship with one another and each one has his own rule, his own canon, his own way of worship? This individual approach to godliness is not the fellowship. We read in the book of Acts several times, and all of them prayed with one accord. We fasted and prayed, all of them together. That's the fellowship. So avoid the individual piety or the individual godliness. You are not individual anymore but you are a member in the body of Christ. Again, you are not individual anymore. Before baptism, yes, you were individual. Individual means non-dividable. Cannot connect with others, cannot unite with others, cannot have communion with others, cannot have fellowship with others. That's what the word individual linguistically means. Individual, non-dividable, that's individual. But in baptism, you are not individual. You became part, organ, member in one body, the body of Christ. Can you imagine if one organ is not in harmony, not synchronized with the rest of your body? Can you imagine if your right eye not synchronized with your left eye? You will see double vision. So you cannot actually be not synchronized with the body of Christ. And say, I am a member in the body of Christ. You cannot. So avoid the individual piety or individual godliness. Number seven. There is a Greek, a Greek word, metephsevis. This Greek word can be translated into either religion dogma or doctrine, or can be translated into godliness. Godliness or religion, doctrine. In First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 3 
and verse 16. He is saying, and without, con- without contro- controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. So what is the link here? What is the mystery of godliness? He's speaking about doctrine here. God was manifested in the flesh. That's the doctrine of the incarnation of the Son of God. Actually, I can read the verse without controversy. Great is the mystery of this doctrine. The doctrine of incarnation. Why this doctrine is great? Why God became man? Why he became man and and took flesh, was incarnate and became man? Because we failed, all humanity failed to fulfill the righteousness, the righteousness requirement of God. So God became man to fulfill all the righteousness requirement of God. And then the Holy Spirit takes from what is His and gives us. So we receive the righteousness of Christ freely in baptism and in chrismation. So his righteousness become a my righteousness. Then I will be godly because I received the righteousness of Christ. So great is this doctrine of the incarnation of the Son of God because only three doc- this doctrine, I will be godly, I will be righteous. Without the incarnation of the Son of God, it is impossible for anyone to be righteous, to be godly. That's why this, the, the same word can be uh, translated godliness or righteousness. So godliness or religion, doctrine. Can anybody remind me where in the divine liturgy we use the same word, the mystery of godliness? Hmm? The institution narrative. Very good. In St. Basil liturgy, in the institution narrative, Abuna says, he instituted for us this great mystery of godliness. So this incarnation, the mystery of incarnation, now we can see it in the divine liturgy. Because in the divine liturgy, we have Emmanuel, our God, is with us on this table bodily, by his blood and his body. That's why we call the liturgy the mystery of incarnation or the mystery of uh, godliness. Can we partake of his body and his blood if the Son of God did not incarnate? No. So his incarnation, this doctrine, this doctrine made it possible that we partake of his body and his blood. And when we partake of his body and his blood, what will happen in the confession at the end of the liturgy? Abuna says, given for us for salvation, remission of sins and eternal life to those who partake of him. 
which is godliness, remission of sins, salvation, eternal life. So, here you go. Number seven, how we have fellowship. When we have the same doctrine, the same theology, one faith, one body. But if we don't have the same faith, it is impossible to have unity. Some people say, no, doctrine split us into different denominations. Just put the doctrines aside and let us be one. You cannot. The doctrine will make us godly. And through this godliness, we can be one. So, if we don't have the same doctrine, then we cannot be godly. And if we are not godly, we cannot be one. That's why it is very important to have the same doctrine, the same faith. No unity without the same faith. One faith, one body. One faith, true fellowship. One faith, true fellowship. And the last point, which actually is very uh, clear, but I kept it to the end, is a communion. You cannot have, you, we cannot have fellowship without taking communion. When we take communion from the same body and we drink from the same cup, the same blood, so his body in me and in each one of you, then all of us will be one. Whether here in... Arizona or in Texas or in Florida or in America or in Egypt or in Australia or Canada or Africa or Asia we are partaking of the same body drinking from the same cup so we become one so to actualize this fellowship this oneness in the liturgy we need to participate and become one in offering listening to the reading in the church, the holy kiss and the reconciliation, the regular attendance uh, every week uh, in the divine, to the divine liturgy, the actual participation in the divine liturgy in praising and in praying, avoidan avoidance of the individual piety or individual godliness, having the same faith and the sound doctrine and the sound teaching because that is the mystery of godliness or the mystery of the religion and finally partaking from the same body and the same blood so God gave us his body and his blood in order to be one with one another and one with the Holy Trinity this oneness and cannot be actualized without the divine liturgy so let me conclude with the, what Abuna prays in the introduction uh, for the litany of the peace that we say it after the descent of the Holy Spirit. Abuna says, Make us all worthy, O our Master, to partake of your holies. Why? Unto the purification of our souls, bodies, and spirits. 
But if this purification is the ultimate goal, no. As I told you, communion leads to godliness and purification. But this is not the ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal? That we may become one body and one spirit, fellowship, and may have a share and inheritance with all the saints. So fellowship with one another, fellowship with the saints who have blessed you since the beginning, and fellowship definitely with God, because we are partaking of his body and his blood, and he is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So, again, if you come to the liturgy, in your mind just you want to take communion for your own purification and salvation, you are short-sighted. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal, that's why we call it communion, we call it fellowship. The purification is just a transition. So, we partake of his blood and his blood to be purified, that we may become one body and one spirit, and we have share and inheritance with all the saints who have pleased God from the beginning. So fellowship with the Holy Trinity, fellowship with one another, fellowship with the saints who uh, departed and pleased God since the beginning. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.